Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We're on chapter four of the book of Shemot, um, and we're going to start looking closely at verse five, which maybe we read quickly last time, but didn't really explore deeply. And the next Rashi is on to verse six. Um, just some context, because it's been two weeks since we uh, studied together. This is this uh, extended conversation after a rather long soliloquy by God between God and Moshe at the burning bush. And Moshe's um, hesitation, his wondering whether or not uh, the Israelites to whom he's being sent are going to believe him, let alone Pharaoh. And God is in the midst of show of of what is going to be apparent. It's actually not apparent yet, but it's going to be apparent soon. It's apparent to us because we know the story and it's and it's implied, but it's not explicit that the the little miracles that God is showing Moshe with the staff that turned into a snake and then came back. And the one that's about to happen, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to be going to have another one, uh, are not are, are not necessarily to make an impression upon Moshe, but to show Moshe the tricks that Moshe is going to do with the Israelites when he gets there, so that they'll have a uh, easier time believing him. And we we see a little hint at that um, in the sentence structure as you compare verses three, four, and five. So give me a moment to just to kind of walk you through this. We touched on this very briefly before, but I want to show it to you. So God has given him the instruction. Moshe said, what if they don't believe me? God said, what about, what's that staff in your hand? And verse three, God said, throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground. He became a snake. And Moshe kind of, fled or, or um, recoiled from its presence. God said, okay, now extend your hand and hold on to its tail. He extended his hand and he held on to it. Not that he strengthened it. That was last last times. And it became a staff in his hand. And then we have a verse who's, that we're going to be focusing on today, which which makes sense word for word, but it's hard to figure out like where where it where it's supposed to be in the flow of the story. Laman yaminu, so that they will believe. Ki sorry, I'm keep pausing because people are coming into the waiting room. Ki elecha Adonai, that God had appeared to you, had or has perhaps. Elohevotam the God of their ancestors, or their, their fathers, literally. Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I think we, we mentioned very briefly that the way Everett Fox notes the, the flow here um, is really interesting, which he says, verse 3, he said, throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground and became a snake, and Moshe fled from his face. God said to Moshe, send forth your hand, seize it by its tail. Uh, and then um there's an like an indentation and a and a, a double dash he sent forth his hand took hold of it and it became a staff in his fist almost as like a um like a scene instruction or a stage direction but not part of the regular flow because the regular flow is that god was really saying send forth your hand seize it by its tail immediately the verse 5 why laman yaminu kinira elacha so that they will believe that god had had appeared to you meaning god is now not, is not saying until verse 5 that the reason i'm doing these tricks for you is so that you have a magic trick in your hand as it were that you can show them and that's going to help bring them bring them along and therefore the um the, the action is interrupting god's little speech right so god tells moshe to do it Moshe is obedient and does it, but God's still speaking. The reason I want you to do it, Moshe, wait, you don't have to do it yet. Or, okay, you can do it. But, but I want you to understand that the reason why you're doing it is so that they will believe you, right? Um, because the Laman Aminu doesn't – is clearly in a quotation mark, but the previous phrase, the second half of the previous verse is not in a quotation mark. Right? So it's not earth-shattering, but it's, it's interesting when you see this weaving together, this editorial um, – um, arm, as it were, which again you can understand from many different perspectives. We always go in both directions here: either the the beautiful weaving together of the of the Holy One, and or the weaving together of an editor or a stream of editors as this text came together into one coherent narrative. Um, 
So I wanted to start with that before we jump into verse six, which is going to bring us the next Rashi. Barry? So if I'm to believe that the editing of this uh, um, Torah is perfect, uh, uh, this in verse five refers to reach. So reach is this. Reach your hand and da-da-da-da-da-da-da and this. The reaching your hand to do this is, that's what this is. Not sure I understand it. Can you say that again? In in the editing structure here, verse 5 begins with this. Okay? What is this? This is referring back to what God said previously. Reach out your hand and do all this. This is what's being referred to. Now, it makes no sense to me why this reaching is what the people will believe in. But that's the odd. I can understand the editing structure. But it makes no meaning. Well, I think the meaning is not the reaching itself, but the 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 entirety of the instruction of the last three verses: the staff turning into a snake, the snake turning turning back into the staff. Why, Moshe? Lamanyamino, so that so that you will perform this miracle there, and that will give you more standing in their presence, so they'll believe that you've actually got a God behind you. Where where does it say here that he's going to perform this? In front of other people. That's that. That's the implication of Lamanya Aminu. I don't right? see that. I I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as, uh, assuming this yet because I I'm reading only what I see. So it it it, it doesn't make sense. Okay. Um. It'll it'll be um made a little more explicit in the text later. The 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 general understanding is that the only thing that the Lamanya Aminu can refer to is a bolstering of the Israelites' belief in response to Moshe performing these, these miracles. Um, and, and that all of this is a response to Moshe's, Moshe's hesitation to take this task, because he, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, I, I, gave, I, uh, I quoted you this Micha Goodman line, that, that um, Moshe is afraid to take his uh, position as prophet because he's afraid he's going to fail, whereas Jonah is afraid to take his job as a prophet because he's afraid he's going to succeed. And it's an interesting comparison, but Moshe's afraid he's going to fail, mostly because he's afraid it's never going to actually be given a chance to start. Okay, anything else on the word, word structure or sentence structure, verse 5, which I kind of, we, we've, we've now gone through again in, uh, in this little intro before we jump to verse 6. Uh, yes, Rick. Hi, good morning. Booker Booker. So um, to try to help Barry a little bit, um, the... Lema'an Ya'aminu, the Munach and the Zakif Katon there, followed by Ki Nira Elecha. If you go back to verse 1, same chapter, you have the Lo Ya'aminu Li with the same Munach Zakif Katon, and then the Ki Yomru, if they say Lo Nira Elecha Adonai. So that's the, the same phrase there. That uh, they don't, they won't believe that God um, appeared, and then it comes up again um, later on in uh, verse eight. You got the the same lo ya aminu lach v'lo yishmau. So it's 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 uh, it, it's hitting the same theme. That's all. Thank you, Rick. That helps. Wonderful. Okay, um, let's. Jump into verse six, going once. Okay. Uh, Joanna, do you want to read verse six, um, Vayomer? Sure. Vayomer Adonai, lo od havena yadcha bechekacha, vayaveya do becheko. Oh, I read that wrong. Vayomer Adonai, lo. Oh, sorry. Let me go again. Vayomer Adonai, lo od. Havena yadcha bechekacha. I think you were right the second time in terms of, in terms of where you put a, a, a short comma by Yomer Adonai Lo, Od Havenayadcha. Okay. Vayomer Adonai Lo, Od Havenayadcha Bechekacha, Vayaveya do Becheko, Vayotiah Vihinea do Metzoraat Kashalig. Good. Translate. Um, Gata to Moshe. Um, once again, or more so, or like kind of continue on, put your hand, um, inside or towards your chest and, um, 
so Moshe did. He put his hand towards his chest and then he took it out. And behold, his hand was as white as um, as um, Torah, as supposedly leprosy or or some kind of skin thing. Good. Okay, so we seem to be in in second miraculous moment and um, our second little trick that God is giving Moshe to be able to do. Um, a couple of things we can linger on and then I'll see if there are any, any questions in the verse for a look at the Rashi. So first of all, the um, I, I know Rick is, is, is waiting in the wings with uh, uh, helping us understand how the trup in the first four words help us understand the syntax. By yo, mir Adonai, lo, God said to him, an ode stands on its own. Okay, another one. Here we go. Here, here part two. Ode, the ode almost is saying, like, here, here's a second trick. We have a translation problem. We always have a translation problem. It's a translation problem from English to Hebrew in general and from modern Hebrew to biblical Hebrew. In modern Hebrew, we translate the he feel of vo, lahavi, as to bring, right? And just within English, there are plenty of, plenty of interesting, you know, memes and rabbit holes about how you use the word bring, right? Is, can you, can you bring something to, or are you only bringing something from, right? Is it okay to say, to say, to say to someone, go, can you go bring that book to me? Or is that take, right? So that's a, it's an interesting question in English. And it's an interesting question. Once you get to the English from the Hebrew, here we have the he feel of vo, and it seems to be, um, um, not bringing meaning like take something from somewhere else and transport it here, but really place or take. So there's also an untranslated not in there, right? I, 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 I'm asking you nicely to bring, that's how we translate yarcha, bechekecha. So bring your, bring or something else, your hand. Once again, a preposition problem in, to, within, and what exactly is chek, right? So, you said chest, sometimes it's bosom, right? It could be, sometimes it refers to a certain place in the arm. I want to alert you to the uh, uh, uncles here, which is fascinating. The Amar Adonai Le Ode, God said to him again, A'il, A'il is the, the root for to, to bring or to go up in, actually not to go up, to enter in Aramaic is Ayan Lamed. Um, yadcha, your hand, Be'itpach, into your Atap into your ayin tetpe. Anyone recognize that uh, root? Anyone who was at Minyan this morning recognize that root? Oh, atifatalit. Right. So um, when we say the bracha to put the talis on, it's a it's a it's a it's a proof kind of by the way that that bracha suggests that you should wear a big talis that covers you, and that you'll see me when I put on my talis. I I, I cover my head and half my body in it first before I bring it out on my shoulders because ituf is considered an encircling, a wrapping. But here in the Aramaic, we have the root of it referring to, I don't know, your, 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 your innards, the thing that is wrapped, right? The bosom. It's an interesting uh, connection between this noun and Aramaic, ataf, um, and what becomes a, a Hebrew and also an Aramaic root, um, Good to envelop, right? So, how to how to read back the notion of enveloping into the noun here is not 100% clear. I forgot to pull up Jastro. I'll pull it up while someone else is making a comment um, uh, in the in the future. It'll be interesting to see how Jastro translates the Aramaic noun ataf. But the have is interesting. The b within to into, um, and then the he Moshe does what he's told. do He brought. He took. He entered in his hand into his bosom. Um, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast right now on the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm thinking of the second uh, movie where uh, like the, you know, the wicked guy has been is putting his hand into people's bodies and pulling out their heart. Is he putting his hand into his body? Is he putting it underneath his cloak? Like, what does it mean to be bringing your hand into your bosom? Right? Is, a super, is, is, is the bringing of the hand in and of itself supernatural? Or is the supernaturality only what happens as a result of it? Just raising questions here. Vayotsiya, he gave, gave us a great map, PK. He then took it out. Right? Notice that um, 
um, he does not get instructed to take it out. He's instructed to put it in. He puts it in, and then he takes it out. Behold, Yado's hand amidst so ra'at kashalig. In your in your wonderful translation, Joanna, you you elided the connection between sara'at and shaleg by introducing the word white, which doesn't appear in the verse, which is very interesting. And that's what Rashi picks up on. Because look at the at the simile being made here. And his hand, we want to say, was as white as snow or as white as sarad, but actually says his hand was as leprous as snow, right? Those are the two things being compared. And I'm using the word leprous knowing that it's wrong. Whatever leprosy is, it's not sarad, but we don't have a, of a, of a better English word for it. His hand was as sarated as snow. So the white is implied, but it's not explicit. And that's setting up the Rashi that's, that we're going to read. Okay, let me pause here. Reactions, comments, questions on this. Sue, Chetzroni. While you're doing that, I'm going to look up Jastro on Atap. Go ahead. Well, I'm just um, thinking about his hand and and um, and Barry a little bit because Barry was kind of stuck on it's the reaching that this means that this refers to the reach. And all of a sudden we're really, it's almost, I'm picturing, you know, you're, you're around a magician and you know, you're watching their hands and you watch carefully and you've been, now he's reached, he reached and he grabbed and he, this, and he put his hand in his thing. And it's, there's some, there's like, there's, there's a focus going on about how, how there, there's, there is something in there. Thank you, Barry, about, referring to how he is manipulating or showing or what this looks like. And I'm, I'm, I wonder how that's different than what the Egyptians do. And what there, there's, there's, there's an interesting thing about the agency of the, of the hand and the Zaroa and the, uh, you know, the, you know, Zaroa and, you know, there's kind of, um, there, there's, there is an, an agency about it that I'm kind of dwelling in. Yeah, I appreciate that comment. I appreciate whoever made a similar comment a couple of weeks ago. All of the, of the associations in this mini scene, which are microcosms of some of the grand themes and, and the Yad, and Pharaoh's Yad HaChazakah, and God, presaging God's Yad HaChazakah, and this little trick, both of these is being done with Moshe's Yad, and God and Moshe's... Uh, Ongoing um, tricks are going to be done with the yad. So the the yad is everywhere. Wonderful, um, Larry, Diane, and Joanna. And then I'm going to show you um, what Jastra says about ataf. So first, a translation. Yeah. Listen to um, what Ari Kaplan has to say. And God then said to Moses, "Place your hand brackets on your chest." Close brackets. On. He says on. Yeah, but wait. That's in brackets. Then he says, inside your robe, when brackets Moses and brackets placed his hand in his robe and removed it from his chest, it was leprous, brackets as white, close brackets, as snow. Uh-huh. So he kind of thinks it's um, uh, the magician putting his hand inside his robes, but close to his chest and not in, actually inside of his chest. Yeah. So um, with that, so with, oh, go ahead. No, I have a second, go ahead, respond to that. I have, I have a second small, small thing. So with that in mind, let me show you the Jastro, um, two, inter- two interesting things. So on the root ataf, as a, um, um, as a, um, a verb, actually, let me go back a page. So here, the root ataf in Hebrew, you know, it's a Hebrew because the vowels are kamatz patach, whereas in an Aramaic root, the first um, there's going to be a shvat in there. It means to be lax, hang down, to droop, faint, which I actually did not know, um, related to an Arab word, atafa. The second meaning of ataf, here's number two, is to wrap oneself up, to put, to put on an upper garment, right? If you go to the Aramaic root of the same letters, right, sometimes it's a different meaning, a slightly different meaning. He says same, meaning that it, it's, it's the... Both Aramaic one and Aramaic two are very similar to the Hebrew, right? To um, uh, to, to put on, to cover, uh, and then here, apparently to float. But if you go to the noun in Aramaic here, um, atif, 
it says a wrap or a cloak, meaning there is an Aramaic and old Hebrew word, here it is in both languages, a bosom or a lap, where the noun is not necessarily the it's not only the bosom, but it's actually the wrap, which is a tuf around you, which is wrapped around you, which means the plain meaning of this verse might be put your hand inside your cloak, right? So Arya Kaplan is, uh, you know, he's, he, he knows some stuff. There's, 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 there's good etymology behind him. The normal way we read this um, verse is not that way. Everett Fox, God said further to him. That's how Everett Fox does the ode. Pray, that's the na. He likes to translate not as pray. Pray, put your hand in your bosom, exclamation point. Right? That's how it's normally understood, except we don't know what that means. And then Everett Fox has a note on the word bosom, others, oh, quotation marks, other folds of his cloak. Sorry, upper folds of his cloak, outer folds. So Everett Fox says it, we normally understand the Hebrew cheik as bosom. But we don't know what it means to be told to put your hand in. It's not near. It's not on. Right? Arya Kaplan says on, but in. How do you put your hands in your bosom? It must be the cloak surrounding your bosom. Um, so the etymology um, thickens the pot without giving us very clear answers. Uh, you want to say a second thing, Larry? I quickly looked up na uh, because uh, I was trying to see how often God speaks politely to, uh, to us mortals. And um, I have not done any research, but the first thing I noticed is God uses also now when he speaks to Abraham at the Akedah mm. to, take, to take your son. So it seems to be very, very common that, that, that in God's speak, he's, he's, he's very polite. We should probably learn yeah. a lesson from that. Diane? So I, this is a question. We, we've seen up until now in the Tanakh a lot of... Um, miraculous events but are there any other sort of magical events this is this seems sort of very much out of the out of keeping with what we've read thus far yeah i mean god has acted through history obviously right um as as rosh is going to make reference to either in today's class or next class god smote pharaoh and avimelech for sleeping with or for or for capturing israelite uh, wives that's less like magic in front of your eyes and more showing that God can reach down from the heavens and, and do stuff. Um, you know, the same thing with the, you know, the, the, the angel hitting yeah, Jacob in the leg and him limping him. That, that's, that's less magic than more just pure force. It may be the first place in the Tanakh where we have what seems to be, I, I'm, I'm like in, being intentionally jocular here, a magic trick, right? And a magic trick intended to convince, right? That's, that's, once again, we're all, we're all going back uh, to, to Barry's question on the previous verse, like the Lamanya Aminu, right? Intended to convince. What's so interesting is that the way we think of ma- magic in the modern world is that, is a magic trick intended to make you believe in the magic? I don't think so. A magic trick is actually, in modern, is, in, is, is resting on the fact that you know it's not magic and, then, and you're mystified by how it's done. But whatever it is, it's not magic, right? Like most people who watch a magic trick know that whatever Penn and Teller are doing, it's not magic. It's not supernatural. So the trick is figuring it out. Where here it's the opposite, right? The trick is is it being so powerful that it's going to induce belief. Yeah. Um, was there something else there, Diane? Joanna, you're next. So – Two things, uh, three things, actually, because in addition to my original two, I want to respond to Larry on the Na. Another place that the Na occurs is in the Stom and Amorat episode. Um, God, in, in sort of preempting his conversation with Abraham, says, er dana I will politely go down and check. And then if you follow the conversation between God and Abraham, there are a lot of Na's that creep up in that episode. And what that has me starting to think about is the usage of na in tense moments, right? Like Akedat Yitzchak, the, the upcoming destruction of Stom and Amora, what's going on now, and sort of trying to politely navigate around, you know, some sort of tension. And I don't know, Tzarichiyun, I don't know if that's, um, <laughs> if that's true or not, but that's 
what occurs to me now. Um, the other two things I wanted to quickly comment on was, um, you know, my confusion in starting to read. I had lost my place, and I usually do pay attention to the trope, and in trying to quickly find my place, I hadn't, um, and was just trying to get the words out. But it's interesting that JPS translates according to the third way I read and not the second. The Lord said to him, further, comma. Oh, interesting. That's the JPS translation on the verse? Yes. So interesting, connecting the ode to the speaking, not to the the second trick. That's fascinating. Um, uh, I guess that's what Jerry Fox does also. God said further to him. Okay. And and the trup can go either way there because I guess interesting. Rick, tell me what you think. Do you think that do you think of the ode as an append the, the Rivi'i on ode more of as an appendage to the Kadmavia's law? or as like a palate cleanser that introduces the mapach pashta? It, not an appendage, it's, it's a resolution of it. If, if music is point and counterpoint, high, high parts and low parts, the Kadmavya's law always has something following it. It, it, it. It's a high point, and then the ode concludes that piece. Right, although a Kadmavya's law can go right into a mapach sometimes. Kadmavya's law, mapach pashta, that happens less but, frequently. But but it's leading the phrase. The Kadmavya's law is leading what's coming after it. And, All right. Um, then thank you for that, Joanna. And I, I retract my my uh, my tikkun as you were doing it because I, I, uh, the trup and and is there anyone? Uh, trans- um, what's that? Is there anyone who has a translation in front of them that seems to connect the ode, whatever, however it's translated, to what's coming up rather than what has been? How did how did Arya Kaplan do it, Larry? Was that, how did he resolve the ode? Then, and God then. So he connects it to the, to the first part. And what's, and you yeah. have a, you, what's your other translation? Your, um, altar. Altar, yeah. altar is very similar. Altar says, and the Lord said further to uh-huh. him. All right. I, I, then I stand corrected. Happily so. Um, I, I love what you said before, Joanna. Joanna used, um, uh, a great rabbinic way of saying, um, like, this is unresolved and it's good stuff. Sarich iyun. Sometimes at the end of a, of a very long or very short um, commentary on the on the Talmud or on the Torah, you have the the sage writing it end with sadi ayin, right? Sarich iyun. It needs more inquiry. Meaning, I've given you all I got, and and, and it's different than teku. Teku is the Talmud's way of saying we there's a dispute and we can't resolve it. This is basically saying I wrote a chapter and there are ten more chapters to write. I don't have time. You guys figure it out. So I love you love your usage of it. And I looked up um, Na and BDB because we've spent a lot of time looking at, at Na. Uh, and let's just take a look at it because we've, we've spoken around it. So again, BDB, the Brown Driver Briggs, is considered the, the preeminent, not the only, not necessarily the best, but the preeminent fully etymological um, and scholarly study of the biblical Hebrew and compared to... Um, um, other ancient languages. I will tell you that I, I've been a rabbi 21 years. I was in rabbinical school for five years. And I'm certain I know about 2% about what it is to know about how to even to use the BDB. I have no problem saying that it's, I'm much better at understanding the Jastro and, and what he's saying than the BDB. I just never went down that particular rabbit hole when I was in rabbinical school. So I don't even know what all of these um, abbreviations are, but nah, um, Part, I think that means participle, but I'm not sure, of entreaty or exhortation. I, we, pray, comma, now. So that word pray appears there, and he gives some Syriac. Apparently, it's, it's present in an, Ethi- an Ethiopic as well. But I pray, I pray. What I like, what I'm, what I'm interested in is that he says it's either entreaty or exhortation, which are not the same thing. Entreaty is that politeness we've been talking about. Exhortation is an exclamation point. Right. So it's really interesting to wonder when we hit a na, is it that the na is simultaneously? Is it a polite exhortation or are we left to guess in this moment? Is this softening or adding urgency to the verb? Right. And I actually think that's a a delicious ambiguity. Rabbi. Yes, sir. Right in the middle there. Shimu Naha Morim. We just we just had that. That's that's not Moses speaking politely. Very good. 
So give, so give us a few more sentences on that because I'm not sure everyone understands the context. Um, it's right Shimu, here. Where, where yeah, Shimuna Hamorim, uh, uh, Moses loses his temper and he calls them rebels and he hits the rock instead of speaking. And, and he's saying, listen up, you rebels. It, it's, not, it's not a polite thing here. It's, yeah. ex, it's exhorting, I guess. Yeah. Unless, unless we want to midrash it and say this is Moshe before he fully loses his cool. Oh, right. Yeah. Like starting with nah, right? You know, whenever you lose your cool, there was a moment beforehand where you had a choice not to, right? So maybe the nah is an indication of that. Okay. Uh, Joanne, I feel like I interrupted you. Was there something else you wanted to say? Um, yes. So two other quick things. Um, without getting too technical, but people who are familiar with um, Joshua Jacobson's work on um, trope and others, if you read what he has to say about Rivi E, um, Rivi E can sometimes, it's not so clear which level of separator it belongs to. So I wonder if that also contributes to some of the confusion as to um, how to translate and where to put the ode in this, in this case. Um, and I want to say before you go on a macro level, I love living in a world and teaching a class where someone can say just as a matter of course, if you're familiar with what so-and-so says on the Rivii, right? Like the, the, we're having a natural conversation about what a scholar might say about a particular trope. I love every part of that. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So now changing topics a little bit um, to your comments about Havena and how to translate it and what word we might expect there. It's caught my eye a number of times in studying Tanakh that verbs are sometimes funny in that they sometimes mean the opposite of what we expect. And, you know, the word that we would want there is, in fact, the very opposite. And the one that came to mind to me as you were talking about that was the beginning of Parshat Truma, when, when God says, Vayikhuli Truma, take to me a Truma or bring to me a Truma. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, that is a double translation problem because it's it, it's the tr- or not a problem or conundrum. It's the question of of <laughs> it's the question of what luck of how many different things the verb lakach can mean, which we translate as to take in the pa'al, and then the question within English of the relationship between to take and to bring. Yeah, and that is a and there are plenty of midrashim on that, but the the um, but, but the um, well, I'll, I'll leave it there. I, 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 I love that association. Good. A lot of hands up. I have no idea what the order is, so I'm just going to go with what it looks on my screen. Norm? I want to go back to talking about magic a little bit because, you know, our contemporaries generally don't believe in magic as being real magic, but as tricks that can be somehow explained. But when we were commanded as the Israelites in our story have not yet been, um, not to go to sorcerers or magicians or pay attention to them, it's not because they don't work. It's despite the fact that they do work. And as a result, um, I have to believe that the slaves and their leaders in Egypt weren't all that sophisticated. So the idea that you could, that Moshe Rabbeinu could stick his hand into his uh, robe or onto his chest and, and bring it out and have it look uh, tsarastic um, and then put it back and have it be cured or that he could change a staff into a serpent and then back might have been much more impressive than it would be to us. We live in a world where if somebody said, I believe in the ancient Egyptian gods and I want to worship them and I want freedom of religion to allow me to make appropriate sacrifices to them or to the Greek gods or to the Norse gods, or for that matter, to Baal and Ashtera, we would think they were nuts. But in those days, those positions were very, very common. Yeah, yeah, that's a great comment. That's a great comment. That that and in in the encounters that we're going to see between God and the Chartumim, Chartumim Mitzrayim, right? It, it's a question of which can do them better, not whether or not the other magicians and God speakers have any power. All they do, and that 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 enters close to a conversation about which there's massive written in terms of what the Torah actually believed about the presence and even the power of a of other gods, right? Because, because if you're a monotheistic text and 
not that you just believe in the supremacy of the one God notion over others, but that the one God notion is the only thing that exists, then the re- that then referring to their gods is loaded. But their gods is referred to all the time, which suggests that deep in the DNA of this textual tradition, this notion that, yeah, they do have gods, and they might even be gods, some of those gods. They're not God, but they're but but they're gods, right? And then that that is adjacent to a conversation about what the word echad means in the Shema, right? The first thing we learn is that God is one. And and the, and once you go a little bit deeper into what the Shema means, it almost certainly doesn't mean or doesn't only mean one as opposed to two. One as a number, as an amount. Um, so there's a lot there in ancient Israel's relationship with others' gods and their god and the numbers, not to mention the fact that our own ongoing usage of Eloheinu implies a multiplicity. Tova? Uh, yeah, I was waving my hand because my comment also had to do with magic, and I wanted to piggyback on that if I could. Please. Um, I'm finding it really interesting what you mentioned earlier and what Norm said, because one of the big cultural through lines of Egyptian civilization was what they called Heka, which is usually translated as magic, but which would be more appropriately translated in terms of their mindset as science. Hmm. In their view, what they did, what is translated as Heka, was manipulating the world according to true factual principles. Hmm. And it's not, as Norman pointed out, gee, what's the trick behind that? How is it really done? It was real. It was science. And it's, I'm finding it fascinating that sort of the, the lead-in that Moshe is being given by God is essentially Heka, is essentially magic. And we're going to see that proved to be very feeble and lead into a different kind of manipulation of the cosmos via the plagues that's on a whole other level. And that in a sense seems to overset the view that the Egyptians would have had of the nature of their world and how to manipulate it Hmm. because it's going to be manipulated on a whole different plane. But the lead in is something very similar to the way they would have understood the world. Fascinating. Thank you for that, Tova. Uh, Joel, and then Barry, and then Renee. Yeah, throughout this whole scene, there's two possible readings. The normal one is that Moshe is feeling um, self-doubt, right? Um, But Rashi seems to have this interpretation that he's, it's in addition to that, he's also believing that the, the uh, Israelites are not worthy. Like he's, he's, He's doubting the Israelites. So using that, you could almost put verse five as a as a prelude to verse six. It's not a, a it's not connected to verse four. So it's saying, okay, you've done your trick, right? I've shown you this. And now because they will believe you, I will tell you to also do this. What is tsara'at? Tsara'at is usually a punishment for speaking badly of somebody. So he says, okay, because you speak, you've spoken badly about them, I'm going to give you a little punishment. I'm going to, I'm going to make your hand give a flavor of a tsara'at. Good. So that goes back to Rashi's comment on, um, on the snake, right? That, 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 the, that the specific way in which that miracle happens with relation to the snake goes back to a midrash on the snakes having done lashon hara about God's abilities, um, and and that's in, an interesting way of reordering. Um, you know, not that not that the second half of verse four is interrupting God's speech about uh, um, about this whole thing, but that actually ends a thought, and then God comes up again saying, "All right, I'm going to give you a second trick, and the, and it's going to be." a second trick specifically related to your contending that they're not going to believe, but they are going to believe. Interesting. Great. Barry. Oh, uh, that's exactly what I was waiting uh, to raise the same subject, Joel, um, that, that Sarah slanderous speech. And um, uh, they, the, the, going back to five, this, this is so they will believe um, th- this is to Moshe. Watch out, Moshe. You're on, 
you're on on tender ground here. Don't don't discount the people. Uh, here's the snake. Here's its throat. Watch out. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, Renee, Joanna, and then we'll jump into the Rashi. Um, I was just going to read you the what the Saperstein, uh, how the Saperstein read it. I don't know if you still want to hear it. And this is the Saperstein translation of the verse. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Hashem said further to him, Perfect. quote, bring your hand to your bosom, unquote. And he brought his hand to his bosom. Then he withdrew it. And behold, his hand was stricken with tzaras like snow. Good. So the Saperstein doesn't introduce the white. We'll get to the white in a second. And renders the b as a two, which allows him to say bosom. It's almost like if you're going to say bosom, you've got to render the b as a two rather than into, right? And there was no like more description for the word od. Uh, further. I think further is there. Didn't you uh, yeah, further. Yeah, good. Thank you for that. Uh, Joanna? Oops. <laughs> um, this whole thing that we're um, starting to talk about now, about the association of Tara'at with um, evil speech, with Lashon Hara. So my mind is asking myself, like, when does that association get made actually like when is that known to us and i know like you know rashi's famous comment that there's no early and late in the torah and you can read forwards in time and backwards in time but as a clearly made association that doesn't come up in torah until much later so do we read now with that association or do we not read that with that association so hold that thought as you read the rashi because rashi is going to is going to is going to bring us there he's not going to necessarily answer it for us, but he's going to bring us there. And, I, and, and maybe he's dancing with that very question of, of are, are we, based on what we've read so far, supposed to know this? Or is it that is it, is it an implication or assumption that we have read through this many times before and we're exporting or importing Vayikra and Sarat and the scene with Miriam we're going to be connected to in a moment back into this scene. Because you're right, the, the, the Mitzorat Kashaleg suggests a knowledge that the reader of this text for the first time does not have. Let, let me use this as an opportunity to look at the Unglis one more time uh, to show you something interesting. So we looked at the Ataf, look at the end of that verse, Va'apke, he brought it out. Vaha, behold, yade or yade is hand, chavra ketelga. So ketelga, remember that in, in Aramaic, the taf is where a shin was in Hebrew. So talga is sheleg, right, snow. So it is as blank as snow. What does chavra mean? Anyone know what the word chavra means in Aramaic? I'll show you. Hold on. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, so chavra... In Aramaic, chiver means white, white skin, a white spot, sort of white flower, blanched, leprous, a leper, white spotted. Right? So, so Uncleus translates the mitzoraat, not in this, I, I know it says here leprous, but he's translating it less as leprous and more as white. So he is actually seeing the color in the verse, which is clear we're supposed to be thinking about it, but it's not there in the Hebrew. So with that in mind, let's read the Rashi. I think Rashi's that are, well, no, we go right there. Um, but he says a lot in this, in this short little Rashi. And let's see if it can resolve or at least go deeper into some of these things. Joanna? Mitzora'at kashaleg, derech tzora'at liot levana. Ve'im baheret levana hi, as it says in Vayikra Yud Gimel. So Paul, uh, bring up that verse. We can just look okay. at it. Um, in case you all fall, in case you all choose to leave the room or fall asleep or not come to shul and part parshat tazria. Okay, so this is one of the places that Joanna was referencing before that we're gonna learn in Vayikra that there is an association between this disease and the color white. Um, and is it an ein mukdamu muhar Torah? There's no such thing as back and forth in the Torah. Therefore, the Torah can rely on our knowledge of what's coming up to understand this verse. There are many places in, in these chapters where this is referred to, but here, if the discoloration is white, and you don't have the word 
um, sarat in this verse, but this whole thing is talking about sarat, or basaro in the skin of his flesh, et cetera, et cetera. So the whiteness is obvious in the halachic texts, the pre-halachic texts in Vayikra. Go ahead. Okay. So see if you can render that. Um, and if the discoloration is clear, is light, or, or like, I guess, a white, and if that clear discoloration is white, quoting from the verse, um, so this sign is a hint to um, slander speech to Lashon Hara. Um, um, because, I, I, almost to consider that when he said that, when Moshe said that they will not believe me, that too was in a way Lashon Hara. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, um, he got Sara'at. Right, the Hilkahu here is a hefeel. Therefore, God smote him with Sara'at, Hilkahu with Sara'at. Um, just like um, what happened to Miriam, um, you know, uh, um, with regards to Lashon Hara. Good. So let's look at that as, as well. Hold on one second. So we hit this a few weeks ago. Um, We'll go through it quickly because it, it, it's a, it's a ten verse little scene. Um, Miriam speaks about uh, Moshe's wife that she's a Kushite, that she's a, a Kushite woman, uh, dark skinned, um, and Aaron. But he doesn't get punished, does he? That's, that's true. Um, <laughs> they keep going. Is it just Moshe that God spoke to? There's a there's a, there's a little bit of jealousy. Uh, then Moshe was very humble, so he doesn't respond. He just falls on his face. God says, "I'm not going to take this." Um, so he says to them, all of you leave your tent and they left and God uh, descends in a cloud and stands at the Oham Oed, and Aaron and Miriam, uh, come out. Uh, God says to them, listen to my words. You might be a, uh, the way you'll know that a prophet is real is if I, if I speak to him face to face. There's another na there. Sorry to interrupt. There's another Shimu na, verse six. Correct. Good. Uh, but not Moshe. Moshe is the most faithful person in my whole entourage. I speak directly, speak face to face, not in hints and not in images and not in dreams. And why were you not afraid to speak against him? So now God gets angry and leaves. Interestingly, God said his peace. We'll have a good time with this when we get to this verse in, in, our, in our class. The I like the translation here. As the cloud was leaving the tent of meeting, behold, here, another behold, Miriam mitzoraat kashaleg. Now Miriam is as, is as, just like our phrase, is as tsaraat as shaleg, without the white reference, but at least now this is post Vayikra. So we can, we can, the, we can assume that the reader certainly knows by now that when you say that something is as tsaraatish as shaleg, it means white. Moshe Aaron turned to Miriam, but he named it Sarat. Behold, she was very um, scaly, right? Interesting how it's translated here. This is JPS. So it, 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 it's a confusion of three things. You have the notion of scale disease. You have the notion of snow. You have the notion of white. In the first phrase, Mitzorat Kashaleg, JPS translated, stricken with snow white scales. That's throwing in a lot of information that's not right there, not there. And then the name Mitzorat, what does it mean to just say Mitzorat? Stricken with scales, not white, because Mitzorat doesn't mean white. It just means the scaly things which appear as white. Okay, going back to uh, the Rashi that we're reading, um, I want to just put a, uh, a hard period in the middle of, of the comment. So the first thing Rashi does is say, if you reader are are concerned with with the fact that we're that there seems to be something missing in the verse, I'm going to fill it in. 
Why does it say she was as lepre- he was as leprous as snow? Because the way that Sarad appears is for it to be white, as we're going to learn in Vayikra, period. And so now, I've, now I, Rashi, have resolved the uh, phantom whiteness in the verse, right? And now Rashi explains, like, what's the significance of this second magical act, which, again, in, the, in Rashi and in the Midrash, each magical act, which is done ex- at least on the shot level, to give Moshe something to use to prove his standing in front of the Israelites, is simultaneously a punishment to Moshe for even needing this proof, because the only reason Moshe needs this proof is because he questions the Israelites' belief in the first place. And so why, So even off, even with this sign, did God hint at Moshe's Lashon Hara by giving him a magic trick that relates to his own culpability. It's really very lyrical uh, and, and beautiful if you read it that way. Um, and this comes from several different places, including Masachat Shabbat, page 97. Okay, Larry, Diane. So first, I bear in mind Michael Wilbram's sage advice that more than one thing can be true. Um, but I, I really think that, that um, the discussion, while interesting, um, is really not to the point, because if Rashi had read ahead, he'd see clearly that what God is doing is he's giving Moses different signs. He's not rebuking him uh, at all. But it, 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 it's interesting. Secondly, Rashi never reads ahead. He, he's con- constantly called to task for not reading ahead. <laughs> Secondly, um, I'm just to my, want to make a comment because you, you use the term cushy, and, and the term cushy is an interesting term because it's one of these words that even in Hebrew is evolving. Um, and um, some of you probably know what, what it's used as contemporaneously. But it's interesting in the Wikipedia entry on cushy or cushite. It has in the same article in modern, in early modern Hebrew usage. Ah, I didn't see early. The term kushi was used as an unmarked ref- reference to a dark skinned or red haired person without derogatory implications. Then go down a couple of paragraphs in contemporary usage. The term can sometimes be regarded as an ethnic slur akin to the American usage of, and I'm going to say the word because it's written here, nigger. But in Hebrew, I think, uh, although I haven't seen any articles about it, um, amongst polite society, it's a word uh, akin to the, the, the N-word. And yet we come across it in the Bible and read about it all the time. So it makes some people uh, uncomfortable. I'm only making the point that language changes and becomes and has meanings that we as a society or as individuals place upon it. Yeah. Not anymore. I want to make a theological point about miracles and divine power. And I'll just make it very, very briefly. If we really were to believe literally in the magic or divine power in the Bible, we have to believe then that that divine power existed for other gods because it's written about. And that presents a real conundrum for us um, or for those who are believers. And that's one of my proofs that we're not, in, in fact, supposed to believe in any of these sorts of things. But if we believe that the power is the power we attribute to the God in which we believe and not the power that the God in which we believe actually has, we can believe that those who attribute power to their gods are wrong. Whereas our attributing power to our God, we stand on firm ground. But once you start to believe that your God, our God, or our characters have this, uh, this sort of divine power, or magical power, we have to acknowledge that the others do as well. There's, I don't see any any way around it. I feel like I'm not getting part two of your part two yet. You're saying that that the only way of retaining our notion and the belief in our God is to suggest that our God also doesn't have power, because if our God has power, then yours might as well? If Well, if, if we're using as a proof text our Bible, and we say our God has power, and the power to intervene in the world in, uh, in, a, in a supernatural way, our, our proof text says that these other gods also have that power. Just as a brief example, last week, why would we care if, Balak is going, if Bilam is going to curse the Hebrews? If he has no power, it doesn't make any difference. But we're really concerned that he should not curse the Hebrews, and God's going to intervene. In fact, he's a believer in God. 
in at least in the Yudhe God, and he is going to bless the Hebrews instead of cursing them. But if he actually had the power to curse them, as Balak believed, okay, then in fact, those other gods and their instruments have that power. Yeah, right. And you're, you're, you're making reference to the scene we're going to come up to soon, which is that the Egyptian um, Khartoumim, they do some pretty cool tricks, right? They're not as good as God's tricks, right? But, but they're still good compared to what I can do. Right. And the Torah gives, says it rather plainly. Now, there are many Midrashim that seek to undermine that for obvious reasons. But I, I now I understand your point and, and I'm rounding towards accepting your point. Um, I want to respond to your thing about language, but I see other hands up and I want to get those hands first. And we may run out of time, in which case I'll respond to it next week. So Rick, Stevie, and then Joanna. Can't hear you yet, Rick. Hi. Sorry. Um not to belabor it too much, but at the end of that little story, Aaron prays for Miriam, El Na, Rifan Na, La. So you got the two Nas there. Yes. I think, I think one is the exhorting one and one is the uh, uh, entreating one, uh, heal yeah. her. I so. think I think it's the only place in the Torah where you have two words out of three being the word Na. I'm not sure, but I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shana Na. Uh, yeah. It's funny I mentioned Shanana, by the way, because there was a Bible professor at uh, JTS who, before he was a Bible professor, was within, was in Shanana. He was one of the members of that group. Stevie? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, so there's two sort of distinctions in the words used for uh, belief that I think are quite relevant in this chapter. That if you go back to verse one, Moses is is interested in both Yaminu and Yishimeu Bikoli, and it's Yaminu Li, and it's Yishimeu Bikoli. So he's interested in, right, belief and in listening, and also it's specific to believing in Moses, seemingly. Um, and when we read down and say verse five, right, God said, God is interested in this Yaminu question, but there's no Yaminu Lach, it's just Yaminu. Hmm. Um, and there's no Yishmu, like it's on you, Moses, to like be heard. Um, and then even when we get further into verse eight, right now we do have Yaminu Lach only in like the conditional, like if if they still haven't gotten there yet, but in the sort of resolution of the of the verse, there's no promise that they are going to get there. Yeah. Um, the Aminu Lach in verse 8 is interesting because it's an association of belief, not in me, God, but in you. Right. And, uh, and it seems that Rashi is, or I mean, the Talmud in this case that Rashi is quoting is picking up on, on the Lee, right? That, that he's saying the, the slanderous thing is, or could be at least that, right? They didn't, that they're not going to believe in me. Um, because God is also concerned about right their belief, you know. If you end the if you end the phrase with that word, yeah, great. Thank you for that, Joanna. Uh, bring it home. This comparison here to Miriam is really fascinating me because um, I'm starting to think, you know, until we've now studied this episode. When you think of the burning bush, I've always thought of it as like a very quick experience. He saw it, it didn't go out, and then he moved on. But it's actually a full two chapters here that we're at the site of the burning bush. And I'm starting to think, based on comments that we've made over the last number of weeks, that what is going on here is a very carefully honed by God leadership training course for Moses. Mm. And... um So now in particular, in reference to this episode, right, where, you know, he's being accused of Lashon Hara, now read with that in mind what happens in the Miriam episode, where his siblings are speaking, um, you know, against him. And if you think of how sibling rivalry that so often occurs, like one sibling says something like that, you're going to jump in and jump back and find, you know, whether it's relevant or not, something that you can say about that sibling. And he holds himself back and he is quiet and merits the description there of being described as humble. And it makes me want to say, like, God, you knew what you were doing. The course worked here. 
you know, he didn't quite get it. And by the time we get to the Miriam episode, he has a very completely different understanding of how to respond. That's wonderful, Joanna. That's a wonderful association. If, if I bring all these comments together, the last thing I want to say is I kind of wish everyone in our community were in this class every week because we hit on so many things in relation to faith and life and Jewish life and just life in general. Um, it's, 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 it's extraordinary what's present in the text and it's extraordinary what's present in all of your minds and hearts that you bring to it. Um, so I, I don't know, here, like, go and recruit someone <laughs> because more people should be involved in these conversations as we, as we, you know, we, we crack open texts that we're certain we know and we're just beginning to know. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.